So I recorded this four times and I butchered every one and I had no idea why. Just got to own the authenticity and not feel like the camera is actually a person even though you are people. Um, <laughs> so I interviewed uh, Fiona Webby and uh, she's a general manager. She looks after 120 staff or that's how big the organization is. So I assume that's how many she helps look after. And a big what they do is Tech Future Labs and Mind Labs. So it's ideas around revolutionizing and digitizing uh, the learning experience. So with learning, you know, it's been the same for hundreds of years. It hasn't been a whole lot of change. Personally, I think it was to prepare people for factories or to, to engage in a system to to teach a certain level of conformity for the industrial age so that you can execute consistently. But now the creativity model and tailoring to each different learning styles really needs to up its game so there's a few interesting things about reinventing yourself have made redundant um how to to assess actually a learner's understanding so instead of just written making a visual representation how to interact with staff um how to grow your business um how they actually did it so it's quite a multi most words anyways it's a decent podcast <laughs> Fiona seems like a very, uh, she's a great communicator and I imagine it's going to touch different um, audience members in different ways and add a lot of value. So we'll kick into it. I'll plug the newsletter. I'm doing newsletter every month. If you're not subscribed, I don't know what you're doing with your life because it saves you all the hassle of scrolling through the endless amount of content I make. I narrow it down to the best, the best guests, the best. Maybe I shouldn't do best guests because then they'll start feeling bad, wouldn't they? So far, it's the best guest. Let's kick into it. All right, well, we've got Fiona. That can also be Fee. Um, and, yeah, I, I think it's good to add a bit of context. Um, I started off pretty much similar each time of sort of what you're doing at the moment, um, sort of the companies that you represent and what they do. Just gives context. And then we go deep, yeah, deep cool. into your past. Cool, sounds good. So what what, what do you do? Yeah, Fiona? okay. So, um, killed everyone. I'm Fee. Um, I am the general manager at a place called the Mind Lab and also Tech Futures Lab. So, uh, to put it into context, both are education institutes, um, all under really the one umbrella of the Mind Lab, but two brands. So, the Mind Lab is about upskilling people to build skills, knowledge, confidence in a changing world. Um, and that started out in the education space. We started to upskill kids and then we moved into teachers. So the Mind Lab is really about um, uh, purpose, people who are doing things with purpose and in sort of the non-for-profit space. Whereas Tech Futures Lab is about um, emerging technologies, uh, new business models, and the target audience is more kind of corporate and for-profit. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. What, what made it... Did you did you go on the tech lab to fund the mind lab, or what what made you go into that those two spaces? Because they're kind of different and similar at the same time. Yeah. So interestingly enough, um, our founder and CEO Francis Valentine, she started uh, the mind lab, which was obviously the children's space. She used to have actually media design school here in the city hmm. uh, for twenty years, which was a, another tertiary institution. Um, and that was looking at uh, how do we provide skills to people when the world of film has become digitized. Um, and so she sold that organization after about 20 years and then saw a gap in the market where, in fact, the education system was basically being taught the same way for the lasted 100 years. And yet the world had moved on. And when I say the world had moved on, think about the Internet. So the way in which you can get knowledge is different from a whole lot of different sources and you can collaborate with people, you can create things, you can innovate. 
Um, and yet the way of teaching was very much, you know, teacher stands at the front of the class and dictates their knowledge and, and, you know, and then the child is expected to regurgitate that back to them. And so Francis was challenging the education industry and, and was a disruptor in the space to say, actually, let's get kids excited about learning again. Let's get them laughing, having fun, collaborating, failing, building resilience, choosing different paths um, and problem solving. And so she did that through children and then very quickly the teachers came on board and said, hey, all well and good to teach them, but what about us? And so that's when we partnered with Unitech um, at the time um, and we created our first postgraduate program specifically for teachers to upskill teachers. Hmm. And so that's now New Zealand's largest postgrad program um, and that's in digital and collaborative learning. And so that's kind of where it all started. And that grew and grew into master's programs and micro-credentials. And then what that allowed was Francis saw an insight uh, in corporates, the fact that all these new technologies were coming like as a tsunami towards us. And yet a lot of those big corporates weren't necessarily preparing their people and their processes their systems for that hmm. and so she started with sort of one-day workshops and then that led into master's programs and uh, now we have 15 programs across the two organizations yeah nice. so that's the really short story yeah you've done well <laughs> you practiced that I can tell. so so what would be the lessons around that digital learning piece like we'll get into your story because i find that always yeah, fascinating. yeah. but like so where are sort of um, institutions or schooling or teachers sort of not quite landing in the digital space? Like what makes it engaging or interactive? Or Well, a big part of it is um, confidence is huge. So, mm. you know, people are scared by technology change. And I get that. Like technology is changing so quickly. And if you're asking a teacher who, to give you context, average age is 55 and female in New Zealand – to suddenly use digital, collaborative, cloud-based tools to, you know, and you probably do it, video editing or audio editing and to upload them to a social media platform, you know, make sure it can only be shared with your classroom and not the world, you know, examples like, that's quite scary. Mm. And so our ambition and our, our approach is to make it as fun and as collaborative as possible. Because one of the beautiful things is that everyone's got knowledge and everyone's got different skills. So, for example, one of the things that we used to do um, for probably about the first four years or so was when we would go and teach teachers face-to-face, -face, one of the first things we would do would be, you know, you'd have 35-plus teachers in a room. They would get them into groups. They would self-select their groups. And we would say, here's a whole bunch of Play-Doh. Um, and some paper and some pens and just give them a whole lot of sort of things that would be in their classroom. And we'd say, what is knowledge? You've got 30 minutes to create a video and narrate it and upload it to a social media platform. Go do. And suddenly someone will say, well, I'm kind of creative, so I'll start with the plasticine or the, the Play-Doh. And someone will say, well, I can put the words around it and this is what I think knowledge is. And someone will say, oh, well, I think this is what it is. And so you have all these inputs and then someone will say, well, I know how to do the video. And so I'll jump on a phone. And someone will say, well, I know how to edit. And I know a little bit of social media. And so suddenly they realize that through the power of collaboration, they've actually collectively together worked out how to not only take, you know, a really interesting topic, create something and upload it and using digital platforms 
and then suddenly you say, well, do you think you could do that tomorrow with your classroom? And they're like, absolutely. Mm. So you're giving them skills, you're giving them knowledge, you're giving them confidence to directly try and do that the next day in their classroom. And that's your sort of starting point for building that knowledge and confidence in the digital space. And suddenly they recognize they don't need to be experts. Mm. And um, that's what we want from our kids. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense that, you know, trepidation, change, something new. And then, you know, when you're in the stress zone and you're not, you're not thinking clearly, pushing buttons and mucking up and it just goes down the snowball of anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> so what, um, I'd be curious from, like, so I've, I've built an online learning platform that sucks. <laughs> just to teach financial and life skills yeah I'm, I'm just thinking about from a from a video standpoint or an engagement standpoint what's something if someone's creating a course that they should be mindful of to make sure that either the students are engaged with it or the instructor wants to create it definitely taking people on a journey and okay. so that they know what's going to happen in that journey mm. um and, you know, summaries are always great. So in this video, you will learn X, Y, and Z, or your outtakes will be X, Y, and Z. Or, you know, I guess in the education world, we call them learning outcomes. Um, or it could be um, what you'd be expected to do. Um, give them things like how long it is so that people have got that expectation of what, what the time is that they need to engage with that on. Um, but, yeah, the user experience around the learning journey is so important. Mm. And also giving them the ability to know what's coming up so if they can if they need to prepare themselves if they need to do any pre-reading but also how they engage with the outputs so it's always great to have um, any kind of workshops or discussions breakout groups um, you know we love to have our zoom sessions where we create breakout groups so that people can go and talk about a particular topic as well because you learn from other people mm. so it could be that you give them a piece of content and then you invite them to come into maybe a social media platform or a or a zoom session to be able to discuss got it yeah. well, it makes sense i mean even just using that journey analogy like if if you're going on a trek you don't know where you're going how long it is and even how to get there it's going to be quite intimidating. So yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. So I think we're, we're going to have to unpack Fiona now. Yeah, yeah, go for it. <laughs> if you're polished, yeah, there's general manager, you've been killing life for seven years. We've got, we're going to loosen you up a little bit. No, so. there's, there's, there's lots of faults here. I'm okay. human. Cool, let's start now. So <laughs> what, what, where did it, like what were you first interested in or what, what had a, like a profound impact on your life that was like a turning point? Yeah, yeah, great question. Uh, failure, funnily hmm. enough. So um, I grew up on a farm uh, down in the Wadarapa. So we were about 11K outside of Martinborough on the White Rock Road. So mm. I always knew I was going to boarding school because there were no schools close by. So I went to boarding school at the age of 11. So my brother was 10, I was 11, my sister was 12. Sheep and beef or dairy? Sheep or? and beef and cropping, yep, so deer. Crutch. Yep. I, I, I wouldn't say I can crutch. No, I left that to dad. <laughs> I used to be a wall presser when I was Oh, 15. did you? Yeah. The bale was four times my weight. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I certainly did my fair share of underneath the wool shed with uh, the sheep poo. Oh, yep. yeah. Yeah, nice. we used to sell it at the gate. Rousey? Is that what they're called? Yeah, 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 totally. You're rousey. rousey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, nice. Okay, cool. It, it's a lot of work. It's it's. I was mad. Yeah, you have to be pretty fit to do it. Yeah, no <laughs> yeah. respect. Carry on. Yeah, ten, eleven, boarding school. Um, yeah, and so um, look, this gosh, there's so many things to unpack. But I was just um, one thing was one of the boarding schools I went to. Um, I remember it was basically boys' school, so in Wanganui. 
uh, and it was sort of 500 boys and it had about 75 girls. And in the, in the two years, so in my year it was sixth and seventh form, called sixth and seventh form, so 12, year 12 and 13. And, um, and things were changing. So I grew up in kind of the world of girls can do anything. It was a bit of a campaign within New Zealand of girls can do anything. Hmm. Um, and look, I don't know enough about where that campaign came from, but it was certainly a theme that was in my kind of teenage years. Um, and interestingly enough, as I went through secondary school, um, probably, you know, pushing boundaries and certainly going into my the second secondary school that I went to, I had um, a, an incredible opportunity to be um, head girl. Interestingly enough, the school was traditional boys' school and head of school was always a boy. Um, that's since now changed, but... Interestingly enough, I'll never forget this moment when uh, we walked into the auditorium, we being the headmaster at the time, an incredible gentleman called Jonathan Hensman, um, and the head boy, or head of school, John Johnson, and myself. And the headmaster looked at me as we were walking down into the auditorium of the, the full school and said, Fee, you come up here. And so I was in line with John, the the head of school. And it was a real moment in time for me about males and females being able to be on the same stage hmm. at the same time. And yet proportionally, the school was 500 boys and 75 girls. Hmm. But it's something that's really stuck with me. That, that gesture was a massive turning point and something hmm. that I've always taken through my career and my life about being able to have no matter what your background is have people on us on the equal footing on the same stage together because the, the more voices that you have the more diversity of thought the more the, the stronger you become as an individual but as a collective so that was certainly a learning point but where I was kind of going with failure was when I went through university oh actually I went to London at 17 did a gap year came back, went to university, having no idea what I wanted to do. Mm. Uh, but I got some good advice. I call it good advice. Okay. Probably not every parent would think it was good advice. But mum said to me, um, just go and be happy. Do whatever you want to do. Go where your friends are. So I went to Canterbury and I did an arts degree, very standard arts degree. And uh, look, it definitely wasn't going to change the world. But I was happy. And I was able to find out what I wanted to do. Hmm. And through that process, I went on to do interior design at the local polytechnic down in Christchurch. Um, for a year, I, at the end of my uni, so I think I was four years all up, went into my first interior design, or it was actually an architectural firm here in Auckland, and I was rubbish, mm. like rubbish. I, I was dreadful at it. And so in my head, I'd like gone, oh, yeah, this is what I want to do. And within a year, I was ringing mum going, oh my gosh, this is, I suck, I totally suck, <laughs> I am like bombing, and yeah. I was, you know, they really needed people with really good drawing, like architectural drawing skills, mm. and I'm the kid that always coloured outside of the lines, right, you know, my, it was like draw inside the line, no, I was never going to draw inside, I was always going out, and so I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I thought I was going to do, and I'm terrible, and so... Mum just said to me, and again, I guess this is probably really interesting if any parents are listening to this. Mum said to me, um, doesn't matter. Just get out, 
something will fall into your lap. And I was like, oh, like bawling my eyes out. I remember being on the Southern Motorway from Penrose driving back, bawling my eyes out. Because I was, you know, 21 and going, oh my gosh. Yeah, you can still cry now if you want. What, what I thought I was supposed to do. It's a disaster. Yeah. Anyway, part of that role was um, Telstra Clear at Smells Farm, which is now Vodafone, I think. They were combining. So Telstra and Clear Communications were becoming one. And so they were that building was becoming open plan and we were the architectural firm that was asked to come in and project manage the layout and everything. So I got into project management hmm. and I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. And I then got a job. So once I left, I got a job in um, a place called Irongate New Zealand, which was a little small web development company. And it was it had its own e-commerce platform, email marketing engine, and it had a big contract with Vodafone to deliver um, handset testing for Vodafone Live. So you'll be far too young to know, remember this, but there was this sharp flip phone and on it, it had a content portal called Vodafone Live and you could get ringtones, download like the Crazy Frog ringtone. You could get um, news updates, sport updates. And so we did the handset testing between Australia and New Zealand 24 hours. And I was really fascinated with content and the internet and the power of the internet and how what we call now is a WYSIWYG which is what you see is what you get so a content management system for websites where it's really easy to basically pull together a website and plug in e-commerce and I was like this is interesting. So it was sort of still early days, I guess, of internet. When was it? Like oh, early God. 2000s? Early 2000s, yeah. I remember my boss getting up in the middle of the night to hear the updates that were coming from Google with what the algorithms were for search engines and what keywords we needed to put into the websites to get them up the algorithm, up the search rankings. Um, and... Funnily enough, I, I loved that role, but I got made redundant from it. So I was third to join. We suddenly grew really quickly, 20 plus, and then I was the third to last to be made redundant. And again, my life crashed. I was like ringing mum, what am I going to do? Mum's an important I part. I loved this. Mum is an important part. <laughs> she, she, I don't think she'd really know, actually, these really defining moments. Hmm. So I was driving up College Hill. It's funny what you remember, eh? Crying again in the car. It's a weird thing. Literally, what am I going to do? And do you know what she said to me? She said, come home, work for three months, and go to London. Go and live with your sister. you got free accommodation in London. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So I went home to Martinborough. I commuted to Wellington. Uh, So I jumped on the train from Featherston, commuted to Wellington in like a contract job for... It was called Eka at the time, which is energy efficiency. I forget what the new name for it is. Um, so I did that for three months. I went to London with a thousand pounds and I lived with my sister. And that was the start of my, I guess, my real digital tech journey. But it's really interesting because failure was a massive, in both those, like first realizing I wasn't going to be an interior designer, I was crap at it. And secondly, being made redundant, that importance of pivoting and going shit you get a chance to reinvent yourself mm. it sounded like a place creativity goes to die like you're drawing these very intricate things via the architecture yeah. and you're very much not in that yeah. frame of mind yeah but and look there were people 
who were so good at it. Mm. And technically, so there was, you know, the programs were ARCHICAD and AutoCAD. And when you saw someone who was good at it, they, I was just like, and I was so way off that. And also, I think I was, you know, I was young and I was arrogant. I wanted to run before walking. Mm. And actually, project management allowed me to to run because it was so busy and you're doing lots of different things and you're multitasking and lots of people interaction. And it was that passion of the people in the project management with the technical, the digital, and the excitement of digital Mm. that really, I guess, started to form where I wanted to go. Well, there's there's a few things that you know that you've talked about is you know getting caught up in this this new thing that you're pursuing and then it wasn't quite what you expected and then crying calling mum and then the next <laughs> one day like, oh fuck I'm off again. yeah well <clears throat> so it, it sounds like you know prior to going on air you talked about you know being extroverted and talking your way through problems and finding solutions what what do you think uh, you would attest as your ability to navigate those key moments because there's people that could be made redundant in the next recession. We don't know when. It happens every seven to ten years. hasn't happened in a while. Mm. Um, what would your advice be to an extroverted person? Like, your advice yourself going through that new moment again? Mm. Yeah, look, I'm a, a big believer in growth mindset, but that's kind of hard if you don't even know what it means or where to start. Mm. And I guess my take on it is optimism, like that there is always – you know, light at the end of the tunnel and there's always another way and there's always people who are willing to help out and open doors for you. Um, and it, it, it's kind of hard when you're in a slightly dark place or you're kind of going, oh my gosh, this is what I thought my career was going to be. But it's about taking those little small steps and reaching out to someone, whether that's a friend or an ex-colleague or one of your parents' friends who might be able to give you some advice or open a door and as soon as doors are opened for you, you start to build a little bit more confidence. And, you know, things like going for a coffee with one of your mum or your dad's friends and, and asking them about their career path or what they may have done, um, any advice that they could they could give you about if you wanted to go and do some work experience somewhere and just start trialling things. Like I also think I did a whole lot of temp jobs as well in my time and, and realised also what I'd didn't want to do Mm. and I think those are those are kind of important things to do and then you start to find what you love because even the role at Iron Gate that was that was a temp job that was like I was a handset tester that's how I got in there you know and then I just was like oh this is kind of interesting and that started the digital journey so yeah that um, growth mindset is about being positive and about going what what could I do what could my potential be if I just take this tiny little step um, and asking, yeah, open-ended questions, what and how and if. Mm. What about like, so growth mindset was, you know, on the story about you, on your, on the website, as well as something that you've talked about quite a lot and mm. the excitement and the new things. What, mm. what, what do you think from either an organizational standpoint or an individual that's hoping to grow? that there's a framework that you might use to make it scalable and repeatable? Oh, gosh, that's a big question. Um, <sighs> Look, I'm, I'm a big fan of um, the, you know, the A3 and putting things down on paper. Hmm. So starting with passions. In fact, I did this with one of my colleagues on Friday, and I actually drew it up for her last night. So... Working through one of my colleagues' um, passions and where she wants to go next. So we basically sat down and 
funnily enough, I, I was on my knees and we kind of had a, a chair between us and I had a, my notebook out and we were just drawing. And I was like, okay, what are your values? Started with your values. What do you love doing? What are your passions? What does that look like? And as we started to kind of scribble circles and little words that were coming out of it, suddenly I could see the excitement in her start to grow because it was personalized. It was it was us unpacking her and what she wanted to do. You know, there's nothing worse than going into a role or doing something you're not passionate about. Mm. And you kind of wake up in the morning and you go, oh my gosh, why am I doing this? And you, it's quite soul-destroying. And so I love the idea for someone to be able to grow and to be able to recognize their potential is start with, start with the individual. Start with, yes, what they're good at, but what they're passionate about. And so what we did is we scribbled that down and then we had some comms that afternoon and she just, you know, really thanked me for being in a safe environment. So that's another thing is also making sure that there is psychological safety around someone's growth, making sure that they can be honest and open about the things that keep them awake at night, the things that they may want to have some more experience around or some development around so that you can create that pathway for them and that safe environment for them to grow and to be okay with failure and if they fail you put a safety net underneath them and then you let them go again and just keep growing and so we we worked this up on a piece of paper and then last night I popped it into a Miro board so Miro board is this great free online tool which essentially you can oh my gosh you can do amazing things with it but I love it because it's it's a uh, visual tool Hmm. um, and it's collaborative so I was able to kind of put these circles of her values and what she's good at and I, I put her name at the heart of it um, and we basically planned out all the things that she's going to do over the next six months. And then she is now in there collaborating with me on and kind of growing out these areas. So she now has this visual representation that allows her to grow her mana and to take her to that next level. So starting with those yeah, those things that make you happy and that you're good at. That makes sense. I mean, if, if I was to unpack that, it's, it's, in essence, you know, you're finding a reason to suffer because growth is going to be uncomfortable at some point. You've got... Mm. They're motivated by their own internal value set. So that's the defining framework they approach things. Yep. And then they've got their passions and goals that are going to help them navigate the uncomfortable aspects of change. Yeah. Well, I can see, you know, I, I used to do the, the leadership training for a team of 15. So I can understand one-on-one. You go, you're talking to them, creating a safe space. But from an organizational standpoint, when you're getting 100,000 people. Yeah. Um, how how do you create processes for safety or processes that allow them to talk about passions? Is that just a matter of delegation? Is that a matter of leading by example from the top down? Yeah, I think there's a number of dif- different things. Um, definitely leading by example, that's incredibly important for sure. But as you grow, that can be harder for teams and, and particularly now as teams are more distributed, whether that be regionally nationally I mean globally you know we've got someone in Bali we've got someone in the states right now we've got you know people down in Christchurch Whangarei you name it they're everywhere Um, and sometimes they might not be able to see you in a workshop situation or in a meeting situation they might see you online via zoom or how you interact on on slack or Trello, whatever that may be Um, but sometimes that's not always seen so it's about creating those processes so Interestingly enough, um, we are in the process of completely reinventing, reimagining what our staff appraisal system looks like. 
And I love this because it came out of our Tiara Kotahi working group, which I'll come back to, um, where a couple of the team members said, oh, God, our staff appraisal system is dreadful. And then a couple of other people were like, yeah, it's like tick box. Oh, it feels so not us. It's so not our culture. And so there was a little working group that came out of that other working group which was like okay let's let's take this on as a challenge so these are just these are staff members who there's no hierarchy they're just people from all parts of the organization that have said let's have a look at our growth learning and development strategy plan process so that we can create as you say that's that safety that psychological safety so that our people can then grow so that's going through a whole reimagining process which I love and can't wait to see what comes out of it so that for us is, is going to be new. And as we've grown, because we've, we've, I still kind of think of us as a startup, but to be fair, we're 125 people. So clearly we're not a startup, but we still act in a startup kind of way in the sense that we're, we're agile, we're nimble, we have a fairly flat structure. Um, but I wanted to kind of touch on where that came from. So because this is kind of, I guess, a, a process that's quite important to us. So Tiara Kotahi is our teaching and learning strategy, and this came from grassroots so we're obviously an academic institution tertiary education a whole bunch of our educators were like we need to uh, embed our strategy and and have a foundation so that we know how we are teaching and learning and how we're treating our, st- our students so Tiara Kotahi which is this little badge that I'm wearing here it oh, signifies it. You, yeah. So there is a koru in the middle, which signifies our student. Yeah. Around the outside, there's these little triangles, which signify the noho tanifa, so the teeth of the tanifa. And then uh, to the top is it's all about reaching the summit. So it's here about reaching the summit. So at, we, as a support network, all our staff, um, our facilitators, etc are all about supporting our students to reach their personal summit, whatever that looks like. And so that has been a framework that we've rolled out to not only our students, but absolutely everything we do. And every team has an implementation plan around that, whether you're in sales, whether you're in marketing, whether you're in a teaching team. Mm. So that for us has been, a, I guess, a tool, a framework that we use. The thing I love about that is it wasn't top, top-down lead. It was led from people on the ground going, we need something. And actually, the leadership team were the last ones to get involved with that. And I love that. Because mm. in many organisations, it would be the complete opposite. Yeah. So, uh, I agree. I probably shouldn't have said top down, to be fair. No, no, not at all. No, because it does happen. It totally happens. Yeah, so it's kind of giving people that safe environment that a good idea, whether it's a strategy or a new program, can come from anywhere. Yeah, no, smart. In terms of that summit that the, the mm. um, students are trying to reach, do you have like a prerequisite course before they start where it's like, what are your goals? What are you trying to achieve? And then that makes them confident enough to pursue it? Or how do you incentivize Ooh, we don't, learning? but I do like that idea. Okay. <laughs> what we do have is um, we obviously have like inductions and intro and welcome sessions. Uh, often they're online because people are distributed all across um, Aotearoa for that. Um, and that is allows people to kind of have a bit of a face-to-face, let's say on Zoom, to A, get to know the Zoom technology, but B, to go, who else are these people kind of learning with me? And Because when we used to mainly face to face on that first night of teaching you could see the white knuckles so you could see who was scared and you could kind of jump on your knees 
go up next to them on their level and go, how are you doing? How can I help you? Of course, now we've got a lot online. You have to look at different ways of doing that. Yeah. Well, Matt, it seems like the the overarching um, theme for you creating reassurance, you know, people being fearful of learning or um, teaching. So it sounds like your your focus is actually how do I create a space, psychological safety for both staff and learners. Massively. So, it's so, so important. Because, of course, so many people, because our average age of our students is about 44. Uh-huh. So many of them haven't studied for years and years and years. Because we have this funny thing in New Zealand where you go and you get your degree, you tick a box and you go, yep, I'm done. Mm. Whereas globally, there's a lot more lifelong learning. It's really interesting. I, I, I don't know enough about it. I probably should look into it as to understand the psyche of why is New Zealand as we do that. Well, well, I don't know about that, but um, it makes sense that you've created a process that garners for that age demographic. So it sounds like, without being too generalized, is that you're appealing to people that have an inspiration to learn or reinvent themselves, and they're coming in fearful because it's been so long. So you're the whole process of your business is centered around how do we create it safe for them to learn. Yeah, definitely. How, and and ex- get excited again. Yeah. You know, because... I don't know if you've ever been in this situation, but it's easy to get to a point in your career or a job where you go, oh, I'm done. This is boring. I don't really want. And so it's how do you get someone excited about what their potential could be? Because as humans, our potential is massive. And it's how do we keep growing? How do we unlock that? You know, communication and, and new connections and pushing people's boundaries and and kind of getting them to think differently or to get up and do something as a presentation or um, lead a workshop, all of that is growing people's you know ability, their potential. Well, it makes sense. Most people I see either online or in person um, have a job they hate, uh, a relationship they're disenchanted by, and a life they don't enjoy. And they go through that, and they, they use these different excuses. I'm going to raise my kids now. I'm going to do my degree first. I'm going to wait and to wait wait until they reach 65 and then they can't enjoy it. Mm. So I, c- I can imagine they're, they're, when someone you know comes across you know the opportunity to learn and reinvent themselves, it's quite motivational. Just on that, how do you, how do you appeal to the market? Like what do you attribute to the, the growth that you have reached? Because you talked about staff. Is there like many students? Like, do you know how many students or is it just like comes in – Rushes yeah, one month, you got cash flow, then you're like, oh, crap. Anywhere between 1,000 and 1,200 students a year. Okay. So that's on our tertiary programs. Um, we actually have another part of the organization, which is, um, uh, well, at the moment, we've got one big project or number of big projects, but Digital Boost, you may or may not have heard yeah. of it, um, is to Stan upskill Henry helped market small. It. Yeah. Yeah, so we um, won a government contract through MB uh, in November 2020 to upskill uh, small businesses to help them digitize mm. so that was the kind of the thing so COVID hit a whole lot of New Zealand businesses weren't online and of course we're panicking like how do I keep my business going and so the part of the COVID recovery package was uh, a number of different things initiatives digital boost was one of them so we were the digital learning platform so we created hundreds of videos from scratch to take people on a learning journey you know from um I need a brand name. How do I do it? I need to buy a URL. How do I do it? Through to setting up a website and e-commerce, um, uh, automated email marketing messages, 
plugging in Zero or MYOB and a whole lot of things for small businesses. So actually, if you take in all of those students, we now have 48,000 students just on Digital Boost who are learning to digitize their businesses. So I guess from a tertiary education perspective, about 1,200 students and then Digital Boost ongoing, you know, 48,000 and growing. Yeah, I mean, Digital Boost, good anyone listen to this, is free, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it, it is. Was yes, absolutely. Yes, still free. So, so does the government pay a grant for your help in that, or because and they're also not necessarily they're not known. Well, you don't upset the government, but for other people, nothing to do with you. Uh, recurring cash flow and then paying on time can be some uh, challenging. Yeah, so we're kind of two parts of the organisation. So, with our tertiary programs, so students will come through and pay their tertiary fees, their student fees for their mm. program, and then we work with the Tertiary Education Commission for funding of each student, depending on what program they're doing. Oh, yeah. And then with Digital Boost, uh, it's a, a depending on the project, where we're at with the scope of the project, then we're paid by oh, yeah. MB, for example, to do that particular project, and that allows it to be free for the users. Um, so we work with a bunch of government agencies. So I guess the other example is... Um, Education New Zealand, we've just launched Mission New Zealand, which is an education platform for a number of different uh, tertiary institutions to take micro-credentials, which is essentially, well, short courses, two weeks, micro-credentials, anywhere from seven to 15 weeks, to a global audience. So as we're sort of starting to open our borders, that's all well and good, but obviously up until now we haven't been able to, so it's taking New Zealand education out to the world. So the ad campaign starts for that, I think, uh, August. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, you might not know, but my my I love marketing and sales. <laughs> this is fascinating. Yeah, cool. So so I think okay. So you, you if you if you had a salesperson in your organization, I don't know if you do. You probably do if you're business. But where who are they calling? What are they doing? You know, like so you've got the are they focusing on the intermediaries? So these these institutions that will um, feed students through. They have a certain interest. Is it marketing to go direct to consumer? Is it partnering with businesses and doing chats and you've got 200 people and then it's better use of your time? Gosh, we've got lots of different touch points. So if I kind of think back to the early days where we just had one one tertiary program, okay. which was teachers, right? Yeah. So easy. We knew where the teachers were. They're at schools. There is a uh, – on education – sorry, on the – I forget what the domain is, but basically the education um, website, there is a – open database of all of the schools that is accessible and providing obviously you market to them a product that is specific to them education then that can be used and so we in the early days we knew where teachers were easy mm. so we had our what we call our outreach managers equivalent to what you like sales yeah <laughs> um they are able to contact schools and we would have um what we would call open evenings or pop-up labs. We would have a workshop, so a hands-on workshop, so the teachers would get excited about learning. So, for example, they would build a car or a hovercraft in self-forming groups with some little plastic wheels and mm. a little battery pack, and we would get them using their 21st century skills. So being collaborative, being creative, um, uh, failing, being innovative, building resilience, tr problem solving, to so that they could see the types of things that they could do with their teachers, yeah. uh, with their kids. So we kind of use workshops as a strategy or a tactic for sales. Of course, down the line, COVID hit. So we couldn't do all the face-to-face -face stuff. We couldn't you know, go into uh, a school and deliver morning teas and do a quick 10-minute presentation. 
teachers love morning tea. So that was kind of a tactic okay, that we used. So um, I guess to answer your question is kind of using, knowing where your target audience is, obviously, yeah. and using tactics that they're going to respond to. So, you know, as I said, the morning teas, they're time poor. So when do you get to them? You get to them at school um, during a, a, a lunch break or, a, or an afternoon tea break um, and providing them with something that they can start to take back so even the little workshops that we would do whether they came on our program or not they could do that workshop inside of their class the next day um i I, so now going forward as we now have 15 different programs it's much larger in terms of how we um do our sales and marketing so from a sales perspective um is working out what who our target audience is for each different program Mm. We obviously have a number of different leads that come into our Salesforce, our CRM platform, and our outreach managers can pick them up and have a look at where they're at um, in the in the funnel, in the sales funnel, and then outreaches that they call them or they email them or they have Zoom calls with them and take them on a personal learning journey because every student is different. So it's really tapping into the individual of what is important to them. It's kind of what I was saying before about our staff starting with what are their challenges, what do they love doing, where yeah. do they want to go? Because um, at the end of the day, we're human, you know, it's tapping into that. Yeah, I mean, salespeople get a bad name, but essentially it's just communication, you know, it's yeah. identifying people's problems and solving in a way that makes sense to them. It's not, yeah. not too much to it and building trust. Yeah. So the morning tea, so you call out the, what, the principal or something. I yeah, normally the DP, the DPs are the doers. Yeah, okay. the, the, not to say that the principals aren't but the dps or the assistant um principals are are the ones who often are looking after professional development um or it might be someone has reached out to us and have said hey part of my uh role is to do some professional development and for a bunch of people so we'll we'll help them form up whatever that looks like so that's specifically for teachers um you know something like we're about to launch an entrepreneurship um, micro-credential, so we've partnered with the entrepreneurship um, online publication, magazine, email, newsletters, um, and so we've gone down a, a route with them. So it really depends on who the target audience is and what program you know we're, we're looking at in terms of what our sales and marketing strategy is. Um, obviously, poor marketing manager. <laughs> oh, massive role for our marketing director and our marketing managers. Yeah, I, they are the most incredible human beings and yeah. that you know they're constantly pivoting as well because when we're producing new programs all the time hmm. um and trying to come up with interesting strategies and tactics and you know, lots of content lots of video content lots of podcasts because we've got a lot of stories to tell are you on tiktok do you know what we're not on tiktok well, but funny enough on digital boost we obviously talk about tiktok um and then i my old you know my old brain from you know my world of digital advertising and marketing because of course i had 13 years in advertising agencies uh before joining the mind lab um would be like how many platforms because you've got to manage all those platforms right yeah. and each platform theoretically you don't want to do same content because of the way in which people interact on those platforms is different as well so you just got to kind of make sure you can manage um but man tiktok's huge it's the most important platform massive so you engage it you love it yeah you obviously i've seen your stuff on it yeah oh have you seen me on tiktok yeah yeah. i said well i saw you've got you've got heaps of platforms right yeah oh yeah well it's similar to how you talked about the challenges teachers face because of the age demographic around technology Mm. my competitors are that demographic yeah Except men, yeah. not so much women. Yeah, they're coming. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. coming. So I just like, okay, well, I can keep compete with the Great White in the Ocean, or I can compete within the desert. Yeah, 
and I know I can work hard and I know I'll learn and understand people eventually. So I just spam 70 pieces of content a week for years and then something eventually started to happen. Yeah, and you work out which one works for you and yeah. Well, the reality is any new platform, if it's well run, has too many users and enough, not enough content. Established platforms like Facebook, you post it, you get 1% mm-hmm. organic reach mm-hmm. because they have too much content because marketers came in and saturated the market. Problem is when you do things like TikTok, people judge you, they think it's all new and that their demographic's not on it and blah, 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 because it's changed. It's something new. Yeah. So you can either capture, because, you know, if you, let's say that podcast you talked about, you take some clips from it, um, you break it down to 15, 30 seconds, doesn't take long, and then just post it and you make you can make it relevant to each platform, but Instagram Reels, Facebook Reels, and TikTok, those were created to compete with TikTok. Yes, yes. So they all perform pretty well similarly. Yeah. And they're fun, right? It's fun, yeah. Yeah. You don't have Entertaining. to do it. It's, all it is is a pipe. Yeah. You put whatever you want in it. Yeah. Um, and you've probably seen in LinkedIn, that's another, it was a good one. It's starting to get saturated. Yeah. But, and that, that's the whole thing. Whatever business you have, it's all about attention. You know, mm. like whoever's mm. got the most attention and adds the most value is the one that's going to garner the greater audience and the bigger business. Mm. So, yeah. It's, it's so funny because I remember two occasions when I was in London when a friend of mine who was in an ad agency at the time emailed me and said, Faith, there's this thing called Facebook. Yeah. I think it would be up your alley. I remember yeah. the desk that I was sitting at at Wonderman in London and he had 22 friends. And I was like, 22 friends? Oh, my gosh. I also remember the day another girl on my team emailed me and said, hey, there's this thing that's just launched called Twitter. I think we should be looking into it. You know, and just thinking how far we've come with all these new platforms. And, and part of my role at that particular agency, Wonderman, working on Ford of Europe account, was investigating new social media, new platforms for Ford to see how they could market across Europe. Yeah. You know, pretty amazing. And gosh, I mean, I'm not in that now, obviously, but wow, to navigate that now with all the new platforms coming out daily, it's phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, the reality is every company is a media company or it's just mm. a commodity. Mm. If people don't know your brand, you're not worth anything. Mm. You, someone will come in, all this money, yeah. compete with you on price, and then yeah. you cook. Yeah. So, and, and you look you look back at the different things. So when the internet came out, oh, it's just a fad, it's just a bubble, there's no <laughs> point. But people that had their website that you talked about yeah. um, with the Vodafone days yeah. and the SEO focus, yeah. you probably imagine times where you're getting audience and you're like, I can't imagine why. This is crazy. And then email marketing, yeah. 90% open rate. Yeah. People are like, oh, email, no one's going to use email. Who's going to buy through email? Google AdWords, one of the biggest, do you know who one of the biggest um, uh, users of Google AdWords were? Were or now? Were, 2000s. Oh, uh, no. Amazon. Yeah, right. right. So that's the thing. You ever, yeah. <laughs> and it'll happen again, yeah. whether it's TikTok, Twitter, Twitter, Instagram, there'll be something new and people yeah. will doubt it. Yeah. And meanwhile, I'll be creating content on it and then they'll be like, oh, how did you get where you got? Or it's just you're just making content. You, yeah. you, you got the attention at the most cost-effective price. Yeah, and I noticed because your, your podcast is across, am I right in saying nine different platforms? Yeah. Yeah. So do you have to edit it for all of those different platforms or you can literally distribute same content? Yeah, just Anchor yeah, right. FM. Yeah. Free. Yeah. Spotify brought it. Yeah. And the way they monetize themselves is once you're at a certain scale, they say, hey, do you want us to facilitate an, uh, an ad? Oh, I don't smart. do that. So it's free. Yeah. Smart. Get all the analytics. Yeah. Yeah. Audacity. I'm re- recording this yeah. on Audacity. Yeah. Free. 
Yeah. I'm not here to waste money. Yeah. I, I grew this from $80 a month marketing budget because, you know, our, when I first started before the media company, a lot of our revenue just comes from um, funds under management. Yes. So a small percentage of that. Yep. So you think about it, even if you got $10 million of funds under management, 1% of that, you're only making hundred grand, and it takes a while. Like yeah. the average advisor after doing it 20, 30 years has 20 to 30 million funds. Yeah. So yeah. You, you, you have to be efficient yeah. to work yeah. it out. But this is the cool thing. There are so many amazing free tools out there yeah. that, you know, as you're saying, Audacity, there's so many things that you can just play around with for free and get your content out there or get whatever it is, whatever yeah. whatever space you're playing in. Um, and, and funnily enough, one of our programs is a little one, Digital Skills for the Workplace. That's one of the key things we talk about. Yes, it's skills, but also tools. Like, you know, your Trellos and your Slacks and all the Google mm. suite. Mm. You know, there's just so much you can do for free. I use Trello. I, I used, um, I never read the book, but Fiona, she's just arrived. She she told me about um, the seven habits of highly effective people, about how to yes. manage workload. Yes. So there's important and urgent, urgent and not important. So I just categorize it for the year and then for the day. And then I just focus on those six things and I use Trello. Move it, done, doing, waiting on someone else. Amazing. It's yeah, it's a great tool. And that little matrix, I still use it too. It's brilliant. What would be your list of best free tools then? That's interesting. Trello's definitely up there. I love Trello for and, and for people who may be listening who are not familiar with it, um, I kind of think about it as like it's a project management tool, but I use yeah. it for my personal life as well. Hmm. So for example, I'm part of a professional development um, group called CQ. We meet like three times a year for two days each time. And out of it, I always have actions and I'm accountable for my actions because I've got to front up to eight other business owners, you know, in three or four months time. So I use Trello. It's like, what are my Trello? What are my actions from CQ? Have I done them? So then, as you say, you can move them into done or doing or do I need other help or other inputs from other people? Mm. We have Trello across the organization for all the different teams, whether they're working on a project or whether they're a um, an academic team whether we're working on like a strategy, we'll have a Trello board for it, new program, it's great. Um, Slack, um, I kind of, I have a love-hate with Slack, (laughs) I've got to admit. So again, for people listening, Slack is almost like a, a, it's sort of removed things or taken things away from email. So you don't kind of have an inbox, but you can have instant messaging and you can have um, a number of different groups or hashtags about a particular topic. So for example, we have one which is I'm working from. So every morning people jump on the I'm working from hashtag and we'll say whether they're in the lab or whether they're working from home. We have a health and safety one. I you know, saw some people walking across the street when they should have been uh, waiting for the little green man at the lights the other day. So I was able to put an alert on saying, hey, health and safety police here, please use the, uh, the lights. Um, so yeah, really good for not clogging your inbox. Um, look, I think the Google suite is great. Mm. Um, so to, again, for people who might be listening, so if you think about um, a collaborative a word doc or an excel doc uh, a place to store things in the cloud uh you know a a calendar or multiple calendars um i think yeah google is is very easy to to navigate um and depending on where you're at it can be free Um, we sit inside what they call gaif google apps for education so it's free for our organization and free for many people from home or small businesses as well obviously you have your gmail with that too um, I mentioned Miro before. So before, so Miro is a again an online free tool to help you brainstorm, workshop, mind map. Um, yeah, that's yeah. Padlet, Padlet's another great one where it's almost like you can have a kind of if you picture a little waterfall and each 
part of the waterfall is a little box so people can collaboratively collaboratively jump on and edit at the same time and put in ideas Mm. so you might be on a zoom session and you might go into breakout group and you'll have a padlet and everyone will jump in and start collaboratively putting their ideas you come back into the session the zoom session with everybody and you can review everyone's padlet ideas um, yeah, that's another great one. Coggle is not too dissimilar to Miro, where again you can do a whole lot of mind mapping. There's heaps of free tools. I could talk all day about them. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. Got, got and you know, this ready. is we introduce them to students all the time yeah. because everyone's different in, in, in how they learn, right? So you could say to someone, go and write a Word document, and they'd be like, Ugh. or you could say to someone, why don't you go and do a video of yourself and your experiences and your impact and how how you're learning. Um, how you can evidence your learning. And they go, whoa, cool. And then you go to someone, why don't you do a mind map? Well, why don't you run a workshop? And suddenly you see people's shoulders go back and they're like, can I do that? Do I not have to write a big, long essay? No. Mm. You know, and, and I guess this is, you know, part of why, why we're the disruptors as well was because in the early days we went to NZQA who when we were getting our programs um, accredited, approved, uh, traditionally, it's you need to write what your assessment is. Hmm. And we were kind of going, well, not everyone learns like that. So we actually pushed them to think about video assessment and video submissions. And in fact, if you think about it, you're less likely to get people plagiarizing because it's them. It's their yeah. evidence. It's it's authentic. It's from what their point of view is. And of course, you get people who actually enjoy doing that. And yes, they're having to learn some, maybe some videoing and some editing skills, but again, they're learning rather than having to write. Not everyone's a great writer. Um, so yeah, having all those different ideas and opportunities for people, is, it helps people to grow. Yeah, I mean, that's innovative. I, I wouldn't have thought of that. The, yeah, it's going to be a challenge when those um, deep fake um, AIs start getting good. But even then, like you, you can you can have a bot write for you now. Yeah. Um, so... That, that is an important step. Like, as you know, I, I sort of see the education system as a tree and then you've got a dolphin and you've got a giraffe and you've got a monkey and then you've got, you know, a leopard. And they're like, climate. So this, this like, I, I wrote a book, but I, it's, writing is just two left feet for me. Like, words will just appear that I don't remember writing. Yeah, right. But if I could sit there and just, just talk shit on video, who would have rinsed You're it? happy, yeah. Yeah, I'll be like, yeah. <laughs> rough. Oh, and look, it's like we also have, you know, people that submit their assessments in Te Reo Māori, you know? Mm. It's like, actually, if that's their native language and they feel really comfortable doing that, then we need to create an environment that they feel safe that they can do that. And we need to have markers, assessors, translators that also can mark and, and put them back. So, yeah, it's, again, it's putting the kind of the student, the individual, the human at the heart of things and... And going, what can we do to empower them to learn, to grow, to evolve, to be mm. better humans? There's a balance there. I, I was talking to um, a brother recently. He's listened religiously to all our podcasts, so he'll probably hear this. But he, Toreo was not the only thing spoken in his household. And now suddenly he's at school. And it's pretty tough. And I was saying the opposite happened to me. I studied uh, Māori <laughs> at um, year 9 and 10, and the majority of the class were Māori. So... And it was based on averages. So I got 65%. I was like, fuck yeah. And I failed because they were more than me. But then the challenge is, so on one hand, you want to accommodate. Um, and why shouldn't you? Because, you know, it's the native tongue of New Zealand, so yeah. you should include it. Yeah. Um, and then also that 
is there going to be an opportunity where they can demonstrate that learning using today? If there was, yes. and it can funnel towards it, yeah. then you're preparing them for it. Yeah. If they're using that, um, and it's not progressing their opportunities, then it's yeah. Because because one hand you're helping them, one hand you're not. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And it def- for them, I think it definitely comes down to what's important to them and what will will progress them and help them out. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Fair. Yeah. All right. Well, we're almost yeah. at the hour. Wow, would that's gone quickly. It? Crikey. Yeah. So, um, what would be some some remarks or leaving remarks either if it's a listener that's yeah. going through a journey that you've been through or whether it's a student that's you know 44 stressed doesn't think they can reinvent themselves oh do you know like i know we haven't even talked about it but just high level um values get to know your values so i went through some really interesting personal development when i was at saatchi and saatchi's what seven years ago now and kind of going I think I've I've reached my peak. I don't know. I don't know. And I was sort of losing a bit of identity. And I was probably kind of hitting early 30s and going, oh, I don't know if the advertising is still my jam. And I got sent on a course, funnily enough, with a bunch of my ASB clients at the time. Um, and it was called um, Jolt Program Through Mind Warriors. And one of the big things that we did was we identified our personal values. And my gosh, it was such a wake-up call for me because I'd never done the work on myself. I didn't know what my values were and why they were important. And the reason I say this is once I understood my values, and yes, they've changed a little bit over time, but once I understood my values, it helped me understand why things weren't working or why I would come up against brick walls or why things were uncomfortable for me. Mm. And so to give you an example, one of my key values is collaboration. I love collaborating with people. I'm in a really happy place when I'm collaborating. And when I'm sort of a little bit off and I'm not kind of myself, I'm like, how much have I collaborated this week? And I'm like, oh. And so I'll get, give myself an opportunity to kind of get into a workshop situation or, or, or jam with someone or bounce some ideas and kind of get knowledge and insights from other people. Um, and so if I'm in a, a weird, uncomfortable situation, I'll go back to my value set and, and then it helps me to kind of go, ah, oh, that's why I'm feeling uncomfortable. It's okay. And that's because there's a misalignment in value. So that's key one, values. Um, uh, we've talked about growth mindset, big fan of growth mindset, um, workshopping stuff, put it down on paper, have a visual of where you want to go, say things out loud. My boss is a big believer in this as well. And I've said earlier before we joined the podcast, I've said out loud, I'm going to do my master's this year. I've had years of infertility. I've now got a couple of beautiful, healthy kids. And so I'm now like going, okay, I'm, I'm ready to go again. You know, I've kind of, my, my head has been in like getting pregnant, getting pregnant, getting pregnant and, and getting these kids and stuff. And I've got, as I said, beautiful kids. So now it's like, okay, my brain's ready to go again. So I'm going to do my master's. Um, uh, surround yourself with good people. Good, positive people. Uh, don't be afraid to ask people if they can introduce you to people. Open a door, have a coffee. I think my career journey has definitely been through leveraging contacts and people and opening doors. And you'll be amazed at how generous people are and amazed at how generous New Zealanders are. And particularly people that have got a, a few years behind them and someone would have looked after them or would have said something great or opened a door for them, they'll be equally as generous at opening a door for you. Be curious. Read. Read. Watch. Listen. As we talked about before we started, listen to introverts. Love introverts. Married an introvert. Um, Enjoy what you do. And if you don't 
stop and pivot and go back to what what's important to you there's a lot of things yeah eh? i did well (laughs) did well and i think anyone wanting to understand their values a good thing you can look up is acceptance and commitment therapy that's um that's one that's purely focused on values and moving towards them it's the new psychological uh, literature cool i like it um all right well where do they find you whether Uh, it's you or the organization yeah so the organization so themindlab.com and techfutureslab.com um, and then me personally, um, I'm Fiona Webby, the general manager at the Mind Lab and Tech Futures Lab. You can find me on LinkedIn. By all means, connect with me. Cool. Love to hear from you. So yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for the time. This has been awesome. Yeah, loved it. You, you pulled together. So I'll, I'll leave that in the description. <laughs> and thanks for coming. Amazing. Thanks, Ryan. Cheers. <laughs>